0: Well, let's look at Hebrews 13, 5. We've been in a series called, He is with you. And this is part four, I believe. Hebrews 13, 5 says, Let your conduct be without covetousness. Be content with such things as you have. You know, to do that, truly, you have to and there's lots of ways people, religion makes up all kinds of ways to, to do this. But if you know God and you know the truth and you know what's real and not real, uh, you know that stuff, things, are not going to make you happy. I mean, you don't even have to know God to know that. You just have to be on the earth long enough. You know, when you're young, you may think, ooh, you remember Christmas, at least for us growing up? Uh, when we look forward to Christmas, um, you know, there was a Sears catalog and there was a JCPenney catalog that we would get. And it would come out sometime, you know, early in the year. I want to say fallish. But boy, when that thing came, we started looking at what are the new toys. We'd, we'd go to the back and look at the Legos or G.I. Joe or whatever, Transformers, whatever we were looking at. You know, all those 80s things when I was growing up. Those were the things. Uh, but, man, we would wear those things out. Now, all the stuff like sporting goods or things that, you know, like things that we didn't. I mean, I like sporting goods, but there's certain areas like clothes. Good night. We're not looking at that. We're looking at the toy section. That's the part. If you look, I mean, those things were thick. How many of you know what I'm talking about? I mean, they're thick. But there's, a little, there's a, this, you know, section in the back. That's what got worn out. The rest of it, ah, take it or leave. We don't, you know, we wouldn't even look at it. Those are all pages that are stuck together. But you know, we, you'd look over it, look over it, look over it, who and then you get to that place where almost Christmas, and you just can hardly stand it. <laughs> just like, seemed like the days are going so slow. I've told this story before, I might as well tell it again. It's not Christmas time, but it'll fit. Uh, I don't, I, now I forget exactly how old I was, um, but anyway, it was, we would always open a gift on Christmas Eve, we'd end up opening them. We'd open like a Christmas one in the day, but then we'd open the rest. We'd end up opening them on Christmas Eve. We'd say we we're gonna wait till the next day, but we ended up opening them. So like Christmas Eve was when we'd open all of them. And I'm telling you, there was this one Christmas Eve where you know we, we were waiting around like like normal. My dad had to do some work, Got, had to run an errand and, and run down to uh, this person's place and uh you know we had this red and white chevy van you know full-size van where it had you know you had your front doors on each side the passenger and the, the driver but then on the passenger side in the back it just had one big swinging door you know not like a minivan where there's just two doors and you know a hatch and everything. there was open the big and then there was one big sliding door how many of you know what i'm talking about there the big full-size vans. so anyway we we myself and uh, my two brothers, and my dad, we were like, you know, we're trying to pass the time. So it's like, oh, we'll go with you. And we went down, we got in the truck and, and went down and ran this errand. And I don't know why that, stuck, that day stuck out in my head. I just remember us, you know, you're just waiting for the night, waiting till we can open gifts and just anything to make the time pass. And so I remember going down there and, and my dad said this, he said, just be patient. He goes, pretty soon, it'll all be over. You you'll have opened your gifts, all that's going to be done. And he said that, that year. And guess what? Pretty soon, there's a flurry of uh, wrapping paper and everything's open and it's all done. Next day, we're playing with all that stuff. So then the next year, it was getting close to Christmas, and, you know, and probably it was, he said, probably said the same thing on Christmas Eve, but he said, You remember where we were last year? This is probably why it sticks out in my mind, because he said, You remember us when we went to so and so's house and we all got the, 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 the van and, and went down there? You guys remember that? That was a year ago. Remember what I said? Pretty soon, all going to be over. And I heard that throughout the years a number of times. He would remind us. That's why, it, that's why it stuck out to me. But, you know, you, you got, you're looking forward to the thing, can hardly stand it, and then it's done, and then you got it, and then guess what? What else they got, you know, in the catalog, or what else they have, you know, that I don't have? You know, if you're getting Legos, I used to get Legos. We'd get a set, and we'd put it together, and we'd put all different things, and then guess what? You want the next one, right? My kids were the same way. They have so many Legos down there. But, no, stuff is never going to satisfy us. You get, I mean, you get it, and you're like, ooh. If, you know, when you're young, sometimes people are older, they think, ooh, if I only had such and such, if I could get that car, if I got that ranch, or, you know, got whatever, that would make me happy. You know that's not true. Because you've gone through it enough to you realize you got the thing, and, ah, it's cool for a while, but it doesn't, it doesn't fill you. Doesn't make you happy. Might, you know, give you some goosebumps for a while, but it doesn't, it doesn't create peace in your life. For sure. It says, Let let your conduct be without covetousness, be content with such things as you have. That's all intro. That's all free. Everything that we said so far, wasn't planned on saying that, but be content as such things with such things as you have. How are you going to be able to do that? You've got to know God. But a lot of people do a lot of dumb stuff because they're seeking after stuff instead of knowing that he he is with you, you you can be peaceful because of that, and you don't need to be constantly running around trying to get stuff because it won't make you happy anyway. For he himself has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. That alone, that's worth all the money in the world, knowing that right there. He'll never leave you, God is with you. Uh, what? Money? Are you going to trade that for money? It's, it's, it's not even worth comparing. So we may boldly say, the Lord is my helper. I will not fear. What can man do to me? Talking about trusting Him. Look at uh, the NLT version, 13, 5, Hebrews 13.5 5 NLT. It says, don't love money. Be satisfied with what you have. Second part says, for God has said, I will never fail you. I will never abandon you. That's the part part we're focusing on. He said, I will never fail you. God said that. Never fail you, never going to abandon you. In the Amplified, can we skip to the second slide? It says, for he, God, himself, has said... I will not in any way fail you, nor give you up, nor leave you without support. I will not, I will not, I will not in any degree leave you helpless. Nor forsake you, or nor forsake, nor let you down, or relax my hold on you, assuredly not. He's saying, I'm not going to leave you, I'm not going to let you go, I will always be there. Period. That is worth more than anything else, to know that and to be convinced of that. And we need to be convinced of that. That's why we're spending time on it. It's because we need to understand that He is with us all the time, that He'll never leave us, He'll never forsake us, and we can trust Him. People may fail you. I will be bold and say people have failed you. No, that's not that bold. We all know that's true. (laughs) That's just a fact of life. Somebody has failed you sometime. We all know that. Just... Didn't have to be alive that long. Somebody's failed you, but God won't. God will never fail you. We read this too. Look at Isaiah 41.10. Let's look at that, and we'll just read some of the scriptures as a foundation that we've um, read before. If you didn't hear the earlier messages, go on our website. Uh, You can watch them, or you can listen to them, or on our podcast, you can listen to any of them, catch up. Uh, We spent some time on this, so some different aspects, and it'll be a blessing to you. Isaiah 41.10 says, Fear not, for I am with you. Be not dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. Yes, I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. He said, don't fear, because I'm with you. Don't be dismayed. I'm your God. I'll strengthen you. I'll help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. What's the point? I'm with you. So don't, don't worry. Don't be dismayed. Don't be depressed. Don't be afraid. Why? Because God's with you. If He's with you, then there's no reason for all these other things to be in our life. Now let's go, uh, let's go to 1 Corinthians 1, verse 18. So He is with us. And he just, we just read in Isaiah 41... If He's with us, you don't fear, you don't be dismayed, He's going to strengthen us, He's going to help us, He'll uphold us. So the focus is on what He's done and what He'll do. 1 Corinthians 1 verse 18 says, For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved it is the power of God. "...for the Jews request a sign, and Greeks seek after wisdom. But we preach Christ crucified, to the Jews a stumbling block, and to the Greeks foolishness. But to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ the power of God and the wisdom of God. Because the foolishness of God is wiser than men and the weakness of God is stronger than men. They're talking about God being with us. And it's saying here, look, you know, not that God is foolish, but it says the foolishness of God is wiser than men, and the weakness of God is stronger than men. So God's not foolish, but it's saying, look, God's God's least thought is wiser than anything that men could dream of. And then it says, the weakness of God is stronger than men. Again, not, not that God is weak, but it's saying God's little finger is stronger than anything, by far, far and away, not even worth talking about that men can come up with. There's no comparison. Well, we're talking about Him being with us. So what does that mean? Well, if He's with us, and He is the Almighty, and He is not limited, His power is beyond comprehension, His wisdom is beyond anything we can know. If He's with us, then that means... You and him are a majority. Now, we don't wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers and might and dominion, the Bible says. But if if God is with you, it really doesn't matter what's against you. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter who's against you. I mean, if they're standing against you, trying to hinder what God's doing and you're doing what God has called you to do and He's working, you know, on your behalf, uh, nothing can stand in your way because nothing can stand in God's way. And so we need to get off, our eyes off what we can do and our ability and our talents and get our eyes on what He can do. If He's with us, we need to be focusing on the fact that He is with us. Not, well, He's with me, as if we're the main part of that. It's, He's with me. If He's with me, well, that means I'm with him. That means, I mean, that's really the way you're looking at it. So where, where is he going? I'm just, I'm with him. He, he can handle anything. Right? He's able to do whatever. So I want to make sure I'm with him as far as I want to be in the right place, doing what he called me to do. Because um, with him, I can do whatever he needs me to do. Period. Without him... Forget it. Now, some people will say, oh, well, you know, but but I'm very skilled in this area. I have all this ability. I have these connections. You start relying on that, that's going to end up tripping you up. It does trip people up. The Bible says it's a stumbling block because people, they don't want to trust Jesus they don't, want to, they don't want God's solution. They want their own solution. They want to be like, well, I want my way and just, you know, I'll, I'll kind of do your thing when I feel like it. No, that's not, that's not God's way. We trust Him and we do it the way He told us to do it. And we need a Savior. We got to acknowledge that. It says, the Bible says, all men have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. So, uh, we need to trust that he's right, that to work with him and to, to relate to him, we have to know, we got to go the way he set out, what as the ransom is Jesus, so we got to relate to him based on that. And then when we are uh, operating in life, we got to know it's not, it's not our strength that's going to get the job done. Now, the stronger you are in any given area, sometimes the harder it is in those areas to just lay them down and to trust God. It's easier in the areas you're weak because you're like, well, I, yeah, I need help. I know I need help. I know pretty much everybody's better than me in this area. But you get over the place where you feel like you're strong, sometimes that's harder to lay down and be like, God, I need your help here because you think, well, I'm, I'm pretty good here. I can do this. I'm not saying you even consciously or I consciously think that way. It's just, it's subtle. And Satan will help you and try to push you that way because he knows if you start relying on your own strength, that's not near the same as you relying on his strength. You can get stuff done with him that you you don't have a chance to get done if it's just you. You know, the enemy can handle you. He cannot handle you working with God. When you're acknowledging him, when you, are, you know that he's with you and you're the reason that you're, you're getting where you need to be in life and you're the re- he, he's the reason that you're able to do anything he asked you to do, if you have that mentality, uh, there's not much that can stop you. Satan knows that. So one of his tactics is get you focused on you. Now, he might even uh, surround it in something that sounds like self-confidence. You've got to be careful, though. You want to be confident in who you are through Christ, not just who you are. Now, yeah, if you, if you had to say, what's it better you know, to, to, feel, to, to think that you're just nothing and can't do anything or to feel like you can do something, well, that might get you some places. It can also take you some very bad places, because some people think, well, I can do anything, and they end up wrecking their life. So we've got to believe God and trust Him. Let's read that uh, Psalm 147. Verse 10, read this in the offering He takes no pleasure in the strength of a horse or in human might. No, the Lord's delight is in those who fear him, those who put their hope in his unfailing love. He is not impressed with the strength of a horse. He created the horse. The horse is, you know, we have things that are so much more powerful than a horse now. You can talk about horsepower. <laughs> Your car that you drove here tonight has more than one horsepower. I guarantee that. Now, Even if it's not a real fast car, it's got probably over 100 horsepower. God's not impressed with a horse. He's not impressed with people's strength or ability or intellect. That just does not impress him. It's not how God works. He doesn't say, see, people have got it backwards in so many places uh, so many times. Humans look at this wrong. Have you ever heard somebody, boy, if somebody ever got saved, they would really be a powerhouse for God. What is that saying? (laughs) It's saying that God needs that human ability to get it done. God has never worked that way. That is saying, ooh, God could really get something done if he just had this natural human ability working for him. That is not the way it works. We'll see that. It, it is not, God is not saying, ooh, if I could just get that person, you know, in my lineup, we could really do some, you know, I was going to say damage, that's probably the wrong thing in this context, but, you know, <laughs> if you were in sports, you might say that. We're going we're to we're mess the other team up, but, you know. You know what I'm saying? God is not impressed with people. He's not impressed with their ability. What he is impressed with, it says in verse 11, it says, no, the Lord's delight is in those who fear him, those who hope in his unfailing love. That's what impresses him. Not not the ability of the person, but... Do they, have they laid down everything that they have, whatever ability they have at his feet? That's impressive. And that's the only way it's going to be useful to him. As if it is consecrated to him saying, Lord, whatever you want me to do, whatever you need me to do, that's what I'm going to do. You know, Billy Graham wrote, in his autobiography, he said the thing that would that he would think about. You think Billy Graham? Billy Graham was uh, you know known throughout the world, shared Jesus. You know presidents talked to him. He he was very well known for being an evangelist. And he said this: He goes, my biggest concern is if I was actually supposed to do something else with my life, like you know if I was supposed to be a plumber or something. Then I missed God. That was, and people—the way natural thinking is—oh, there's no way. Are you kidding me? People do stuff in their own strength all the time, and people look at it and say, "Well, no, of course you're doing the right thing." His concern, which is why he was—I believe—why he was used the way he was—is Lord, I want to do whatever You want me to do. I don't care what it looks like. And if I was doing... If I was supposed to do something else, I missed it. doesn't matter what it looks like to people. I missed it. I did the wrong thing, and therefore I failed. Because God doesn't need your ability. He just needs your heart. He needs your availability. He doesn't need your strength. He needs your, God, you're what I need. You you, you understand it's Him, and that He can get through to you we're talking about God being with you well this is this is so important we need to understand he is with us and if he's with us then we can deal with whatever we come in contact with he's not looking to see if you can handle it in your own strength he's saying can you handle it with me well of course the answer is yes but we need to know that we need to realize whatever you're asking me to do I can get that done so we can look at something that God's asking us to do and you can either look at it through the lens of your own strength can you do it or it, can you do it with him if you can do it with him which if he's asking you to do it you can doesn't matter if you see a way doesn't matter if you think it's you know out of your league has nothing to do with it it's did did he ask you to do whatever And are you going to trust Him? Because if He's with you, then it can get done. Look at the next verse, uh, 1 Corinthians 1, 26. We'll pick up the same passage we were reading earlier. It says, for you see your calling. You know, the last verse we had read was because the foolishness of God is wiser than men, the weakness of God is stronger than men. So then, 26, he says, for you see your calling, brethren. That not many wise according to the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble are called. Why? Well, God is, it's up to him. I mean, you ever want to know about somebody specifically, go ask him. He may tell you, you might not. Why is so and so used in a certain way? Well, if it's, you probably don't need to know. But he's the one that knows. Verse 27 says, But God has chosen the foolish things of the world to put to shame the wise. Notice it says, God has chosen the foolish things of the world to put to shame the wise. It did down purpose. And God has chosen the weak things of the world to put to, to shame those, th- the things which are mighty. And the base things of the world and the things which are despised, God has chosen and the things which are not, to bring to nothing things that are, that no flesh should glory in His presence. But of Him you are, in Christ Jesus, talking to believers, talking to Christians, who became for us wisdom from God, and righteousness, and sanctification, and redemption, that, as it is written, He who glories, let him glory in the Lord." He said he's done this so that no flesh would glory in his presence. No, nobody's going to be able to say this was me. You know, Satan, Satan is full of pride. That's that's why he was cast out. He he was so full of pride he thought he could take on the Almighty. You think well, that's just dumb. Who would believe that? Well, pride will blind you. Anybody thinking I can take this, I can take care of life on my own, you're blinded. That's a that's that's not true. Well, you may be able to get some stuff done, but there's some things you bump up against you cannot get done. Certain doctors' reports, they say it's impossible. Even in 2021, with everything we have, we cannot do anything for you. But God, with God, all things are possible, and His will is healing and wellness all the time. So with Him, it's possible. You might reach a financial situation that you say, well, in my situation, this is impossible. I, I can't do anything about it. Well, you could think of certain people on the planet that could probably help you out of that, let alone God. God can get it. He, he can help you out. But he's not going to... The thing is, we don't go and say, well, it was just me. You honor and trust him. He, it says that those who glory or those who are going to honor, that you you do it. You're honoring Him. In other words, you're saying, glory to God, I honor you, not, yep, I did that. That was all me. I didn't need any help from God. That's dangerous ground. God will use your ability when it's consecrated to Him, but it might not even be in the way you think. Paul said, when I'm weak, I'm strong. He said, "When I'm feeling the weakest, then I'm strong because I'm actually trusting Him. Now it's not limited by your ability; it's limited by His, which is unlimited. That's the place you want to be. It's not bad to be in a place where you don't see how, you don't see, you don't, you think it's beyond what you can handle or your team can handle or whoever that you're dealing with. That's okay, because then you're relying on Him." And sometimes you get, the, you, you, you get the best things, results, wh- when you're, you're past looking to you. Because sometimes when it's you, you think you can figure it out. And then you mess it up because that's not what God had in mind. You're just thinking, okay, how can I do this? Mm-hmm. When all along he's thinking of something else, he's got a different plan. And if you get ahead of him, you might get something. You know, it's like Abraham and Ishmael. He thought, you know, God told him he was going to have a son. And he said, well, I know how we, this can happen. Now take his maidservant, not Sarah, who is barren. But God had a different plan. With God, it's possible. With men, uh, things are. You bump up against certain things that are impossible. But God is able to do through people what they themselves, they don't know how they could do it. Other people may not know how they could do it. But through God it's possible. Let's look at Judges 6, verse 1. We're going to look at Gideon. Gideon, you may have heard of Gideon. Gideon was um, one of the people that's in Judges that helps to save Israel. Judge has the connotation of a a savior in this context. And people, what happened over and over during this time with Israel, is they would go and serve God so they got in the promised land and things were going well but when that generation and everybody that had seen the miracles that had happened and how they got brought in when that di- when they died off the Israelites they started going off and they didn't serve God they just went right off and they started doing other stuff and then somebody would bail them out you know one of these judges would co- they 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 would God would raise somebody up and they would get st- out of their mess and everything would be good for a while and then the Bible say after a little bit they went off track again and then they would have to get bailed out again and this just kept happening, read the book it just it just keeps happening but uh, God's, God's faithful to, to help them but this is one of these instances so they've just gotten out of another mess and it's been okay for a while and then we pick up in Judges 6 verse 1 then the children of Israel did evil in the sight of the Lord. And that's what it keeps saying. So before this, if you look at it, they've had, us, they've had some time where nothing, everything's peaceful. And then, verse 1. Then the children of Israel did evil in the sight of the Lord. Again, you could say. So the Lord delivered them into the hand of Midian for seven years. Now, I'm not knocking them. We don't have any stones to throw. If you want to get up and say, who hasn't done something that you've done before and that, you know, multiple times... And you're like, everybody in here has dealt with something where you've done the same thing more than once that you shouldn't have done and you know it. So we don't have any th- stones to throw. All we can do is look at this and we can learn. The Bible says these are examples. They're not, they're not accounts so that we can mock and throw stones and say, oh, they're so stupid. No, you look in the mirror, <laughs> we've done the same thing. If we're honest... May have not been that long. If you've ever been in that situation where you found yourself doing something you shouldn't have done, then we need to do it. Look at it through that lens, and we need to know God's a good guy, He's merciful, and we're in the new covenant. We're not in the old covenant, so thank God we have a better covenant. But it says, "So the Lord delivered them into the hands of Midian for seven years, and the hand of Midian prevailed against Israel." Now, let me just say this as well. You don't. You can keep the scripture up because we'll we'll pick it up here. Um, but God told them what would happen if they didn't serve him. Yeah. This is not like God playing a game with them. He said, if you serve me, it's going to go well. Look at Deuteronomy. twenty. I mean, he said from the beginning, if you serve me, you're going to be blessed. If you don't, it's not going to go well. And, and your enemies are going to overtake you. That's exactly what happened. So God is not saying, ooh, I'm going to deliver you. He said, this is what my word says, and it's happening. It's just, it, that's, that's, that, that, those are the results. So verse, if we, so that's what's happened. So now if we skip down to verse 11. So in between these verses, it describes how Midian, the Midianites are just, Israel just keeps dealing with them and they're basically overrunning them and all that. So we pick up in verse 11. Now the angel of the Lord came and sat under the terebinth tree, which was in Ophrah, which belonged to Joash, the nah, right. And his son Gideon threshed wheat in the winepress in order to hide it from the Midianites. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him and said to him, The Lord is with you, you mighty man of valor. Verse 13, Gideon said to him, O my Lord, if the Lord is with us, why then has all this happened to us? And where are all his miracles which our fathers told us about, saying, Did not the Lord bring us up from Egypt? But now the Lord has forsaken us and delivered us into the hands of the Midianites. Verse 14, Then the Lord turned to him and said, Go in this might of yours, and you shall save Israel from the hand of the Midianites. Have I not sent you? Verse 15, So he said to him, O my Lord, how can I save Israel? Indeed, my clan is the weakest in Manasseh, and I am the least in my father's house. And the Lord said to him, Surely I will be with you, and you shall defeat the Midianites as one man. So the angel of the Lord came to him and said, Look, called him a mighty man, and said, I'm going to use you to deliver Israel from the Midianites. And he says, How can that happen? I'm not even the strongest one of the people I know. What, how could that happen? See, what's he looking at? He's looking at the natural. He says, my, my clan's the weakest in Manasseh, and I am the least in my father's house. In other words, I, 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 my family's the weakest, and then I'm the weakest in my father's house. Why, why are you picking me? Why are you coming to me? I, he's totally looking at the natural and what he sees and saying there's no way, in verse 16, it says, the Lord said to him, surely I will be with you and you shall defeat the Midianites as one man. Surely I will be with you. So he's saying, no, no, you you got it wrong and we're not looking at you. (laughs) Tough guy. Not you. It's me. I'm going with you. I'm going to help you. And some of that's what, that's what our mentality is. You're like, God will ask you to do something where he's leading you and you're saying, why? Why me? You know I'm not that good. And he said, wait, 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 no, no, I'm going with you. I'm going to be with you. I'm going to, and then you're going to defeat the Midianites. You're going to wipe them out. But it's because I'm with you. Now, we'll skip down to Judges 7, verse 1. You can go and read this whole account, but we're not going to take time to read the whole thing. It says that Jerubabal, that is Gideon, so this is another name for him that, he's, that they're calling him here. And all the people who were with him rose early and encamped beside the well of Herod. So he's gone and he's, set, he's gotten people together. So the camp of the Midianites was on the north side of them by the hill of more in the valley. And the Lord said to Gideon, the people who are with you are too many for me to give the Midianites into their hands lest Israel claim glory for itself against me, saying, My own hand has saved me. Now notice that. He's got all the people ready to go, and God said, No, nope, there's too many of them. Why? He said, Because... He said, The people, verse 2, The people are with you. who are with you are too many for me to give the Midianites into, your ha- into their hands, lest Israel claim glory for itself against me, saying, my own hand has saved me. In other words, there's too many. You're going to think you just did it. You're going to think you got it done. Verse 3, Now therefore proclaim in the hearing of the people, saying, whoever is fearful and afraid, let him turn and depart at once from Mount Gilead. And 22,000 of the people returned, and 10,000 remained. So he said, verse 3, Whoever is fearful and afraid, let him turn and depart at once. So he's saying, look, if anybody's afraid, go home now. And 22,000 of the people returned. So they went, and 10,000 remained. So evidently they were at 32,000. Now they're at 10. Verse 4, But the Lord said to Gideon, The people are still too many. Bring them down to the water, and I will test them for you there. Then it will be that of whom I say to you, this one shall go with you, the same shall go with them, or shall go with you. And whomever, whomever I say to you, this one shall not go with you, the same shall not go. So he brought the people down to the water, and the Lord said to Gideon, Everyone who laps from the water with his tongue, as a dog laps, you shall set apart by himself, likewise everyone who gets down on his knees to drink. And the number of those who lapped, putting their hand to their mouth, was 300 men. But all the rest of the people got down on their knees to drink water. Then the Lord said to Gideon, By the 300 men who lapped, I will save you, and deliver the Midianites into your hand. Let all the people, other people go, every man to his place. So now you have a fraction of what he had before. Now he had 10,000 people. God said, you know, the ones that drink water this way, we're getting rid of the ones that drink water the other way. Those are the ones I'm going to use. And so they came down to 300 people, and God said, that's what I'm going to use. So they're not looking at the number. They're looking at the fact that God is with them and God will help them. So this is totally not a numbers thing anymore. If you're looking at numbers, they're done because you see how many people, it ends up saying how many people they end up taking out. So in verse 19, Judges 7 verse 19 then says, So Gideon and the other, and the hundred men who were with him came to the outpost of the beginning of the middle watch, just as they had posted the watch and they blew the trumpets and broke the pitchers that were in their hands then the three companies blew the trumpets and broke the pitchers they held the torches in their left hands and their trumpets in the right hand so it had explained what they were going to do so every one of them had a pitcher and a torch and a trumpet so they're all doing it this at the same time you make it sound like there's a, a lot more people. But they are surrounding the camp. And so when they get, were given the signal then, verse 20, the, the three companies blew the trumpets, broke the pitchers, and they held the torches in their hands, and the trumpets in their right hands for blowing, and they cried, The sword of the Lord and of Gideon. And every man stood in his place all around the camp, and the whole army ran and cried out and fled. So they've surrounded the Midianites, and they freak out at this point. When the 300 blew the trumpets, the Lord set every man's sword against his companion throughout the whole camp, and the army fled to Bethacacia, toward Zerorah, as far as the border of Abel, Mahola, by Tabas. So they all started killing one another. They had 300 people. And they went after these people that have harassed them for years. So it's not like they changed. It's not like all of a sudden they were being nice. God came and said to Gideon, I am going to deliver Israel with you. And Gideon said, No, that's not possible, and why are you picking me anyway? And I'm the weakest, and God said, I'm with you. I'm with you, so we're going to do it. And evidently, Gideon was like, okay. All right. So God shows him, gives him the plan, but first he whittles the the group down a ton, you know, getting all these people together. He's like, you know, okay, we're over 30,000 here. I mean, all right. And then God whittles it down, and then God whittles it down to where it's 300, and now there is no way. You're talking about an army. These people have been against Israel this whole time, and they are trained people that fight. They are not just people that are green. But what, you, what, what we skipped over here, I'm not going to take the time to read, but, but the Lord told him, he said, if you're still afraid, take your servant and go up into their camp. Before this happened, he said, go up into their camp and and look and you'll see. It'll strengthen you. And he goes up and they overhear this guy talking about a dream he had where basically they're getting wiped out and he says, this is none other than Gideon. And they were all afraid. He heard them talking and they're all afraid, thinking, these guys are going to take us out. And Gideon heard that, and then he realized God had already been working for him. It's like when the Israelites were first going in the promised land, when they, when they actually, they, they backed off it, but when they went, and they were going up back in Numbers, they sent spies into the land, and then they came back, and the Israelites backed off and said, well, ten of them were completely afraid. Two of them, Joshua and Caleb, said, we can take it. The other ones said, no, we can't, and they convinced everybody else to say, no, we can't. And they said, these people are giants, there's no way we can take them out. And Joshua and Caleb were like, no, we can do it. But they were like, no, we're grasshoppers in their eyes, in our own eyes and in their eyes. Well, what they found out years later, when they did go in, is that they, they, these people were afraid of Israel. God had already gone ahead of them, and they were afraid. They said, they're killing everybody else. They're going to come, and they're going to beat us. But Israel looked at the, 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 out, the outer view, and they said, they're way bigger. But they didn't know that God was working for them, and that they had already become afraid. And they would have taken them, because they did take them. The size of those people did not keep them out of of the promised land. It was their own unbelief because those same people went against, the Israelites came up, the next generation came up against those same people and they won. Well, that's the the case here. Gideon hears them going, they're already scared. So when this happened, when they surrounded them, they already thought they're done. And so they see 300 people with their torches. They probably imagine. There is many more people, and they freaked out, and they started killing everybody, and they got wiped out. And we see a glimpse of this. Judges 8, verse 10, then, it tells us some. So some other things happened. They did bring in some more people. They got some other people involved. And then they're they're tracking down the kings of the Midianites. But look at verse 10. It says, Now Zeba and Zalmunna were at Karkor, and their armies with them, about 15,000. So Gideon is on the run trying to track these guys down, and he went to several other people that were, you know, other areas, and he said, hey, can you give us some food? We're on the track to get these guys. And they are like, well, you haven't done it yet. And he's like, when I come back after this is done, I'm not going to treat you nice. So he's going after these people, and he's tracking them down. So he may have had a few more people at this point. We don't really know because there were some other people involved. But look it, they had 15,000 people. All who were these were all that were left of the army, of the people of the east. For 120,000 men who drew the sword had fallen. 120,000 people were already out of the game. And he started with 300 and you know some of those may have been taken uh, by some of these other people that joined them, but it, 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 you know it wasn't a lot because God at the beginning took him out took them from 30,000 down to 300 wasn't like at the end, all of a sudden, he added them back. No, they wiped them out with hardly anybody. Verse 11 says, Then Gideon went up the road of those who dwell in the tents on the east of Noba and Jag- Jogbeha, and he attacked the army while the camp felt secure. When Zeba and Zalmunna fled, he pursued them, and he took the two kings of Minion, Zeba and Zalmunna, and routed the whole army. He's on a roll. I mean, he can't be stopped. He's got a fraction of the people, but he's he's knocking them out left and right. Why? Because of them? No, because God's with them. God is with them. And that's what we need to understand. We're talking about God being with us. Well, what does this mean for us? If God's asking you to do something... And he's with you. Don't look at anything else. Don't look at your ability. Don't look at your past. Don't look at the you know anything that's standing in your way. Look at him and realize if he's asking you to do it, he has a way. You don't need to understand it all. You just need to know he's right and he'll help you and you'll be victorious. You just have to look at him. Gideon could have backed off at any given time, been like, "There's no way. I don't see how this is coming. Now. I don't understand it." But he was so bold. He was like as he's going to take these guys out at the end these two kings when he saw people that wouldn't help him he's like I'm going to come back cuz we're going to go get these guys and then we're going to come back and I'll deal with you but this is happening. He knew. He he evidently believed God and he he was confident not in himself you know it wasn't in himself because at the beginning he was like no 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 I don't want to go. But something changed. He's believing God. He's believing that through his strength, he can do it. Ephesians 6.10 says, Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. We need to understand it's through his might, it's through his ability, it's not through our ability. He's not impressed with the ability of a person. He's impressed with somebody that looks to him. Amen? Amen. He can use you. He can use me. Amen. If He's with us and He's for us, we know He is, then we just go with Him. We follow Him, we be strong in Him. Amen.